Masech Shabbos Perek Chav Gil Mishnah Dalad until Perek Chav Dalad Mishnah Beis. In the previous Mishnah, we saw Machlekes between the Tanakama and Abba Shaul. According to the Tanakama, one is only allowed to walk to the edge of the Tachum Shabbos, the edge of the 2,000 Amas maximum distance which one is allowed to walk outside of the city on Shabbos. So one is allowed to walk to the edge so that he's there just as Shabbos goes out and he's ready to go further than the Tachum as soon as Shabbos is out. He's only allowed to do that preparation for the sake of something which is permitted on Shabbos itself. So for example, if he needs to guard the fruit in his field which is further than the Tachum, he's allowed to walk to the edge of the Tachum since guarding the fruit is permitted on Shabbos itself. Now, Abba Shol said that not only is that permitted, but anything which is for the sake of a mitzvah, you're also allowed to go to the edge of the Tachum. So the beginning of this Mishnah brings a few examples of mitzvahs which are not related to Shabbos, and they're forbidden to do on Shabbos. However, according to Abba Shol, you're still allowed to go to the edge of the Tachum to plan and prepare to do them after Shabbos. One is allowed to walk to the edge of the 2000 Amas and be there for when it gets dark on Motzi Shabbos. To look after and deal with the needs of a bride who is getting married. Or to deal with a dead body. For example, to bring a coffin for the dead body. Or the burial shrouds. That which the body is wrapped in when it is buried. Even though these things are forbidden to do on Shabbos. Since they are for the sake of a mitzvah, Abba Shaul says that just like you're allowed to discuss them on Shabbos. And you can even tell somebody to do it on Shabbos so that he'll do it after Shabbos. So too, you are allowed to prepare by actually going to the edge of the Tachum. Now, whilst we're discussing burial needs, the Mishnah tells us that Goy Shehevi Chalidim B'Shabbos, a non-Jew who brings, for the sake of a Jewish funeral, he brings flutes on Shabbos. Often in those days, a funeral will be accompanied by flutes, playing sad tunes. And the Mishnah tells us that Yisrael, a Jew is not allowed to give a eulogy accompanied by those flutes, and really the flutes are not allowed to be played in the funeral at all, even though the funeral will take place after Shabbos goes out. And we're talking about a case where we assume that the non-Jew bought the flutes from further than a Tuchum Shabbos. So he bought them from further than 2,000 Amas outside of the city, which is of course forbidden to do on Shabbos for the Jew. And since the non-Jew did it only for the sake of the Jew, it's forbidden to benefit from that. There's a discussion as to whether it is forbidden to use those flutes ever again, because this Aveira was done with them. Or, according to most, it's only forbidden for the amount of time which it would take you to get new flutes. So if, let's say, it would take two hours to go to another city and bring flutes, so you can only use the flutes from two hours after Shabbos goes out. Elohim came bon wakam korov, unless one knows for sure, that's at least how we're going to understand the Mishnah, unless one knows for certain that the flutes came from a close-by place, meaning within the Tuchum. If you know that the non-Jew did not come from further than the Tuchum Shabbos, so you know that he did not violate Shabbos to bring you the flutes, then indeed there would be no problem in using those flutes. Now what happens if Osuloi Orein, non-Jews made a coffin for this Jew who died, or they dug a grave for him, so they did this on Shabbos, however they did not do it for the sake of the Jew. They just dug it either with no purpose in mind, or for the sake of a non-Jew. So they weren't really doing a locha for the sake of a Jew, and therefore it is permitted to benefit from that. And so on Motzei Shabbos, he covered by Yisrael, a Jew is allowed to be buried in that coffin and in that grave. However, the English will Yisrael, if they dug it or they made the coffin specifically for the Jew, then that Jew can never be buried in that coffin or in that grave. Because again, one is not allowed to benefit from a melacha done by a non-Jew on his behalf. Now again, over here there's a discussion as to whether it's forbidden forever or it's just forbidden for the amount of time which it takes to build a grave or a coffin. 
Mishnah Hay, the discussion continues. Osin called Tzorche Ames. One is allowed to do all the needs for a dead body on Shabbos, as long as it does not involve a malacha which is forbidden on Shabbos, of course. So, for example, Sochin, one is allowed to rub oil onto the body. Umedichin one is also allowed to pour water on the dead body. As long as one does not move any of the limbs of the body, because since the body is muktzah, it is not allowed to be moved. Muktzah can be touched, however, and that's why you're allowed to anoint it, you're allowed to rub oil on the body, but again, you are not allowed to move it because the dead body is muktzah. Now, though one is not allowed to move the dead body itself because it's muktzah, Shemtin esakar mitachtov, one is allowed to remove the pillow or whatever the person is lying on from underneath him, so that he will be automatically placed on the sand or on the ground. And the reason why they would do that is because the pillow, or the material which the dead body was lying on, would usually keep the body quite warm, in which case the body would decompose much quicker. So in order to slow down the decomposition of the dead body, one is allowed to move the pillow from underneath him, so that the body will automatically be left on the ground. And again, it can only be done if one does not directly move the dead body itself, because it's mukta. Now, when a person dies, his muscles become weaker until they eventually have no strength at all. But what often happens is that his mouth opens up, because it doesn't have the strength to keep the jaw closed. So the mouth opens up, and it does so at a slow pace. Now, to preserve the honor of the dead body, it is better that the mouth is kept closed, or at least as closed as possible. And so the Mishnah says that koshin es halechi, one is allowed to tie the jaw with a rope or a strap around its head and then down by underneath its chin. However, you can't do so so that the mouth will close more than it was, because that would be actually moving the muktzah body. Only that it does not go more downwards, so that it does not open more, you can tie a strap to prevent the mouth opening more. But you can't close the mouth with a strap, because that will be moving muktzah. And the Mishnah says the same applies a beam which breaks, for example, a beam of a roof. If one of the beams breaks, so it starts coming downwards, let's say, on one of the sides of the beams, one is allowed to support it with a bench or with the side posts of a bed. But again, you can't put the bench there so that the beam will now be further up. You can't move the beam up. You can only put the bench there so that the beam does not go more downwards, because again, that way you are not actually moving muktza, you're just preventing muktza from being moved anymore. Now, because the body is muktza, you can't move any of it. In fact, in Shabbos, one is not even allowed to close the eyelids of the dead body on Shabbos, because again, that's considered moving part of the body. And as well as that, not quite related to Shabbos, but the Mishnah tells us that on a weekday one is also not allowed to move the eyelids of a dead or dying person. Close to the exit of its soul, meaning when a person is about to die, one is forbidden to close his eyelids. Reason being that as one is about to die, any slight movement of the body can speed up its death by even a couple of moments. And the Mishnah says quite a sharp conclusion, one who shuts the eyelids of a person who is about to die, or as he is dying, he is considered a murderer. You see the power of even a couple of moments of life with somebody who's pretty much dead and can't even do much with his life, but if you even speed up his death by a tiny, tiny amount, you're considered a murderer for taking away part of his life. That's how precious even a couple of moments are. Final Perak of the Masechta. Somebody who is on a journey and it becomes dark. 
We're referring to somebody who started his journey to another city on Erev Shabbos and he actually left plenty of time to get there in time for Shabbos. However, certain things occurred and he couldn't get there in time. So as he's walking with lots of things on him as well, he still got a bit more of a distance to the city. Says the Mishnah, Nathan Kisel Anochri, he's allowed to give his money pouch or his purse to a non-Jew for the non-Jew to carry to the city. Even though it's generally forbidden to allow a non-Jew to do a malacha for you, and over here the non-Jew will be carrying a mukta item for Amos at least, in a public domain. Nevertheless, it is permitted in this case, reason being that the Rabbonon were concerned that if we don't allow you to give it to a non-Jew, you might come to carry it yourself in a public domain, which would be forbidden mid because you wouldn't want to lose out all of, the, all of that money. And because of that, you are allowed to give it to a non-Jew to carry for you. If there is no non-Jew with him, then you're allowed to put it on your donkey. Now, you're only allowed to do this if there is no non-Jew there. Because in general, it is prohibited mid to allow one's animal to do something on Shabbos which he himself is not allowed to do. So since he's not allowed to carry four Amas and Rishasarabim, it's equally forbidden for his animal to do so. Now the Gemara explains that when he does this, he needs to make sure that his animal does not actually commit a Milocha mid So what should he do? The answer is, we explained right at the beginning of the Masechta that in order to be liable for the malacha of carrying either from one domain to another, and the same applies to carrying for four Amasin or Shusharabim in a public domain, to be chayev for doing so, one has to do three things. Number one is an akira, lifting it up. Number two is either transferring its domain or transferring it for four Amasin or Shusharabim. And number three is a hanacha, putting it down. Now, if let's say a person is walking in a public domain and he is holding something, even if he doesn't lift it up or put it down, by being still, that is considered to be as if the item is at rest. So if somebody is standing in a public domain and he's got something in his hand, if he walks for four amas and then stops walking, so he has violated that malachamid eraisa. By starting to walk, he does the akira, which is like lifting it up. By actually walking, he does the walking of four amas. And by standing, that's like putting it down. So coming back to our Mishnah now, to prevent the donkey from doing a malachamid eraisa of carrying four amas in a the person should make the donkey start walking. Once the donkey has started walking, then he should put the items on the donkey's back. And he should also make sure that before the donkey stops, he also lifts up the things from the donkey's back. And that way there was not an Akira or a Hanacha, and so the donkey would not have violated a Malachim and so it is permitted in this case to prevent you yourself doing a Malachim because you don't want to lose out on all that money. The same applies to all property, not just money, but any of his possessions which he has with him. Alright, now the next part of the Mishnah refers to anybody who has a donkey with him, and again he's travelling on Erev Shabbos, and he reaches the city just as Shabbos is coming in. So when he reaches the outer courtyard, the first courtyard of the city, he can't continue taking that donkey throughout the Rosh Hashanah, the public domain, so he should go straight to the private Chotzer. He should take with his hands directly the utensils which can be moved on Shabbos, the non-Mukta items, and those which are Mukta, which cannot be taken on Shabbos, he should undo the ropes which are tying the items to the donkey, and the sacks which contain things which were on the donkey's back, they will fall down by themselves onto the ground, but since he did not move it directly, he has not violated the prohibition of Mukta. The Gemara adds that if the things which are on the donkey's back are fragile, so you can't just allow them to drop to the ground, they might smash, 
When he's allowed to bring blankets and things for the sake of this, he's allowed to bring non-mukta items for the sake of a mukta item and place it under the donkey so that it does not smash when it falls down onto the blankets. Mr. Bates, when preparing food for animals, one is only allowed to do that which is necessary. Any more than that would be considered unnecessary effort and therefore forbidden midyabonon. So when it comes to bundles of straw, the Mishnah tells us that Matirin Pekir Omelifne Behema, one is allowed to untie bundles of straw, but no more than that. He can untie the bundle, put it in front of the animal, but he can't start spreading it out and putting little bits here and little bits there, because that is considered unnecessary. All he is allowed to do is untie the bundle. Umafaspsin Sakifin, he's allowed to spread out moist cedar branches. The reason being that just by untying them, that's not enough for the animal to eat them. When it comes to these things, the animals will usually only eat them if they are actually spread out and scattered in front of them, and therefore it is permitted to do that because it's considered a necessary effort for the animal to eat the food. Avalois hazirin, but not bundles of straw. This refers to bundles which are tied with three knots. So that means that the straw is much tightly packed together. But even then, you're not allowed to spread it out at all. All you're allowed to do is just to untie it, because the animal will still eat from there, even if it is not scattered. In Muraskin, Lois Shachas, one is not allowed to cut into very small bits. You can't do that to Shachas, which is unripe grain, which is just about edible enough for animals. So it was usually used for animal food. One cannot cut that into small pieces, neither can he cut carobs into small pieces, if they behave in front of an animal. Being dako gasa, whether it's a small animal like a sheep or a goat, or whether it's a bigger animal, one cannot cut it into little pieces, even though that might be what he usually does. It is not a necessary preparation for the animal to eat the food. Even if the carobs are not cut, the animal will still eat the carobs. And because of that, it's considered a unnecessary extra effort and burden to do that on Shabbos, and so it's forbidden midirabonon. Now, Rihudu mati bechoruven ladako, Rihudu permits one to cut carobs into very small pieces but only for a small animal, because the small animals will usually withhold themselves from eating carobs which are not cut into small pieces, because it's harder for them to eat bigger things, and so to make sure that the animals will eat the food, Rabbi Hood does allow one to cut the carobs into small pieces.